At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. That's when it starts right now. Live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Your traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Steve Grosso, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, it's crypto stock mania. It seems like any company that mentions the word blockchain heads to the moon, but many are just crypto scams. We're naming names with the former SEC chairman, Harvey Pitt. And we've got the Bitcoin bug fired up for tonight as it's been sinking for the second day in a row. You don't need to check Coinbase. We got it right there on the left side of your screen. Plus, check out shares of Nike Volatile in the after hours earning uh, after our session on its earnings report. The conference call is underway as we speak. We'll bring you the latest headlines. But first, we start off with breaking news on Alphabet, the parent company of Google. So let's get to Josh Lipton for all the details. Josh. Melissa, yeah, just some big breaking news here on Alphabet, which is just now announcing that as of its next regular board meeting next month, Eric Schmidt will be transitioning. Uh, Eric Schmidt is going to be stepping down from his position as Alphabet's executive chairman, uh, instead becoming what is described here as a technical advisor to the company. Uh, importantly, he will continue to serve on the board. Schmidt saying here in a statement, Melissa, in recent years, I've been spending a lot of my time on science and technology issues and philanthropy, and I plan to expand that work. Um, of course, back in 2001, Google founders Larry Page, Sergey Brin brought in Schmidt to help scale that business, a company that now does uh, more than $73 billion a year in annual revenue. Schmidt himself worth an estimated $14 billion. Uh, I'm told this uh, transition had been talked about for some time, for about a year. Uh, it'll be interesting to see who now steps into Schmidt's role as executive chairman of course, there are a number of potential candidates. You would think one could be uh, John Hennessy, who has been a member of Alphabet's board uh, since 2004. But again, the news here, Eric Schmidt stepping down as Alphabet's executive chairman and instead now going to serve as a technical advisor to the company. Melissa, back to you. All right, Josh. Thanks, Josh Lipton in San Francisco. What does this mean for Alphabet, Karen? I don't think a lot, really. I mean, you know, it's when you think about it, uh, Sergey Brin and Larry Page are they're 44 now. We they're think, adults. Yeah, right. wow. They're grown-ups, right? Over the hill. So, and we've had, you know, they've had some management shifts when they split into Alphabet, and then you also have Ruth Porat there, which I thought was an excellent addition. So, uh, I think, I mean, and this thing is such a juggernaut. I, I think it'll be a smooth transition. I don't think it'll have a lasting effect. I, I think we've already seen some transitions near the top there already, and I think they've been very well digested. Obviously, also, you know, when you brought Ruth Porat in, um, this was a major change at the company, too, which was seen as a major positive. So, you know, a place that at times in the past has been seen as less transparent is getting more transparent. I expect that this is more of that. And I, I think, if anything, Google has a chance to increase the multiple based upon, you know, potentially what's good news here. I think you could get some knee-jerk sell-off where someone reads a headline, when one of these algorithms read a headline, you could see something sell-off. And tomorrow, you could see a little bit of traction to the sell-off. I'd be a buyer on that dip if you see anything, because I think it is a non-event to everything that uh, Tim and Karen just said. I think it's, it's really plug-and-play at this point, and I'm not sure how much day-to-day -day he has right now anyway. So I'd be a buyer on the dip. Yeah. Well, I think the much bigger issue is what are they going to do with their cash? Right. That has the ability to move the stock much more. 
Yeah, Parents it was waiting for a long yes. time to find when, out. The food part started 2011, 10, 11 uh, I think later than that. It's two and a half years ago. Oh, so that's it? Yeah. Yeah. You, that being said, I mean, if she had stepped down, I think that's a much bigger story than yeah. this. So yeah. I, I, maybe there'll be a soft. I'm not sure. I still think valuation of stock is reasonable. I think it continues to grind higher from here. All right, let's now uh, turn to a familiar theme in the markets. Euphoria. The Dow surging triple digits at the highs of the day as tax cuts are in the books. Companies start sharing the wealth, dishing out bonuses, wage increases to employees, which makes it a great time to be living in America. Consumer stocks tied to American spending were already soaring in the past month. Retail names like Macy's, Nordstrom, restaurant stocks like Darden and Brinker. International, even some travel plays like Delta or TripAdvisor, they're all surging. Consumer discretionary sector hitting a high today. So as the tax cuts sink in, should you keep betting on the consumer into 2018? Makes sense, Guy. Well, if the people feel good about things, which they clearly do, business optimism's through the roof, consumer confidence through the roof. To me, it's all reflection on where the stock market is. Rocky two, three, or four was that? I think that was three. Yeah, I think you're right. And it's it's a lousy yeah, song, it's but three. And a equally lousy movie. It was actually movie. Rocky it was really four. It's Rocky four. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just tell me that in your ear. All right, so, you don't yeah, think so. I knew that? Oh, no, you, I didn't know that. Drago. Anyway, Drago. I, Ivan Drago. Yeah, and the Mr. picture was, was Ruth Porat. I, I apologize to everybody here and everyone at home for ruining this discussion. Anyway, please, consumer stocks. People feel Consumer feels good about things they spend money. Whether they should be spending or not spending doesn't matter. They will spend money. What does it mean? Well, we've talked about the retailers now for a while. Tim's been on this Macy's. But the retail story to me is not at the end of this. I think we're sort of smack in the middle. I mean, Nordstrom since earnings has been basically straight up. Macy's has had a great run. And I think there's more in it. Target bought shipped. I think that's a big deal. Target's been a great story since July 13th. So a lot of these retailers still work, whether or not the consumer is euphoric, living in America, living in Scandinavia, wherever. All of that, wherever they're spending their money. But should we believe that the consumer is actually going to feel something soon enough for this sector to to benefit? Well, well, I think... The, this whole sector was thrown out, and the ones that have performed well will continue to outperform. But the sector definitely was slammed, hit, every, every type of derogatory comment you can make as far as the sell-off was. But Darden restaurants, as far as scope and scale and run and the size of the market cap that they have, they're an A-rated operator. I continue to buy this one specifically. Yeah. Well, again, it gets back to think about what the the retailers had to deal with in in the last in the previous nine to 12 months. But certainly you had border adjustment tax. First of all, was a big deal for a lot of these guys. As you've gotten into the downgrades in the sector and really the Amazon uh, death and destruction, you got to a place where perceptions in the sector were so low. Any retail analyst you read, anyone that's doing staples uh, or or even consumer discretionary, you got to a place. So now, look, we have a quarter of pretty solid results under our belt. Steve mentioned this last night. I totally agree. The comps are terrible for these guys meaning it's great for these guys. Right. But most importantly, these, this, as a group, they had effective tax rates of, of 35 to 39 percent. Yeah. Any analyst that's doing their stuff is da- upgrading these guys, but probably 20 percent on EPS, I think you stay with that and the momentum shift. That's exactly what Cowan had when it com- came to Macy's, Kohl's, as well as Nordstrom. The benefit in terms of the tax on EPS growth was somewhere around but, up 20 yeah. percent or so. So there's a double benefit, right? Right. On the tax side of it in terms of the rate and on the tax side of it in terms of the consumer with more money in their pockets. Potentially. Yes, absolutely. And then you get, you know, it's been the sector's been crushed, which we said. But I'm curious to see whether people spend this money all at once and we have a very good first quarter or end of the Christmas season, or do they end up saving it? 
I know you're a saver <laughs> when you think <laughs> about the com Yeah. So I, I think, though, we will see a lot more of these. Maybe they're not $1,000 checks, but a lot Isn't more Isn't that okay people. either way, that if she saves it, though? It's still sentiment. She still feels better about what she has in the bank. She would probably make a, a larger purchase going forward, even if she is a saver. But to, to put a bow on this, wow. how about Under Armour? That's a 38% effective tax rate, and it's been demolished. It's demolished, down 45%. Take a look at that. Yeah. Uh, but we, some people get with $1,000 check bonuses. Yep. Right. Some people start seeing it in their payroll, right, come February. Right. Mm -hmm. Some people will start seeing it over the course of the year, basically, in terms of their wage increases. Wait, look, I, I think from a consumption perspective, and I, I think this entire tax bill on some level is very front-loaded. And I think what we're getting right now is really a consumption pull. And I think that's actually something. If I'm the Federal Reserve right now, I am I am. I'm nervous in my 2% PCE boots, mm. which is, I mean, I think we've just thrown a match on an economy that was already at 3%, where rates were already starting to make a move, where ultimately you've had uh, business confidence levels, you've had, we're at a cycle low. I said this last night, I could say this every night because I don't change my tune. We're, I think unemployment is now an issue. I don't think there are a lot of manufacturing jobs that can be filled right now. I think we are maxed out, and I think the Fed is going to be moving faster than slower. Totally agree about the match. I mean, I have TBT on and long, you know, banks will see interest rates higher. I think it's going to happen, and I, I think I, I'm sort of getting worried about this rally, that <laughs> even though, it, I mean, the psychology of it is great, right? Everybody's really pumped up about it. But if you look at today, the market was up a lot. The VIX hardly moved. Normally, right. yeah, but Karen, this extra layer, though, of everyone now with the bonuses, this is this is an intended. It's a psychology thing. When psychology changes, I, I, get, of I get you. But last night, I think it was a shocker when you start to see all these companies start ripping through because all of us thought we had sort of a handle on it. I don't know if we knew how quick these bonuses and, and the CapEx was going to come in. I thought it was going to be I another the, quarter. But the, other, the other layer to it is that a lot of the economists, when they're modeling the impact on GDP, they're not factoring in the secondary and tertiary right. effects of CapEx, for instance. When AT&T spends a billion dollars extra in CapEx, they're not factoring in the jobs associated with that CapEx or anything like that. So it's a very okay, limited... Okay, forward. Keep going with that. Right. And, you and get that brings hotter. your fear yes. of the risk of higher rates, right? right? And that just so, a knee-jerk reaction to The that. risk of higher rates. Where the rates... Yeah, well, they need to be higher in the back end, not the front end. I mean, that's the real problem, right? And you know, although you've seen a move seen in the ten years, the past few years, the days, you have. Excuse me. I mean, <laughs> you're not seeing it. It's not commensurate, in my opinion, with what it should be doing, given what we're seeing. TLT, by the way, was up today. Whether that means anything or not, I don't know. But again, you look at. Therefore, I think this is what you're talking about, and we've been mentioning this because the, these moves have been extraordinary. Freeport's 31 percent in in 12 sessions. Um, U.S. Steel's 32 percent in 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 roughly 25 sessions. So what you're seeing is an expectation that clearly companies now who've been saying this forever, so give CEOs uh, credit if they're actually going to follow through on what they were threatening to do if we ever saw a change in policy. We've gotten it. These guys are fired up. I'll, I'll say this again as well. This was a corporate tax. This was a tax cut for corporate America. Um, when they start cutting checks mm -hmm. like, it's, like it's monopoly money uh, for employees, um, you know it's been very good for corporate America. And I think in that regard, uh, you actually will see stimulative effects that will be a concern for rates. All right. So will the market euphoria continue into next year? Our next guest just boosted his 2018 S&P 500 price target today. Let's welcome Chris Harvey, head of equity strategy at Wells Fargo Securities. Boosted it to what, Chris? We boosted it to um, 2860, or actually 2863. It's not that bullish no, compared to the others on the street. What's holding you back? Here? <laughs> <laughs> no, no it's, it, we can't get the, I, I hear everybody. Everyone's very enthusiastic. We can't get that enthusiastic. There's so much good news. These are all the things we already know about. 
taxes. We know about that CCAR. We know about that deregulation. We know about what's the next trick. Things are priced pretty expensively. So I hear the secondary and tertiary effect, but I'm just not seeing it. So then why is it, I mean, if everything is priced, and why is it that whenever, whenever a company says, oh, the EPS impact to 2018 on taxes is going to be a buck to a buck 25, right. which is what Delta said, and Delta rose on it, right. FedEx rose on it, obviously it wasn't priced in. <sighs> it, yes. They're, they're, so when I think about taxes, I think long-term and short-term. In the short-term, a lot of these companies, they just won the lottery. Now they're sitting on a windfall. That's fantastic. We have a repricing up. The big question is, what are they going to do with the money? Who's the good allocators of capital? Who's going to create value? And it's about value creation at this point in time. It's not about value stocks anymore. And that's what we're looking at. And that's what's going to cause these stocks to take another leg high. So who are the value creators in your view? So we think the companies that have better ROICs, better returns on capital, really good management teams, higher quality. You, you look in, in some of the cable companies, some of the media companies, even some of Companies that, uh, the food and beverage companies that have been left for dead of sentiments really positive, they know how to create value. And that's where we're, we're finding the opportunity. So let me ask something. When you have that model, you said 2860? 2860, 2863. 2863, yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, just to put a fine point on <laughs> it. What are you assuming <laughs> for interest rates over the course of the year? So we're assuming pretty much a flat interest rate, but we put a little bit of fudge factor in there. So there's about 100 basis points where it can swing. Um, at the end of the day, what we're seeing, what we've seen over the years is the curve flattens. I, we can argue about where the rates are going higher, but one of the issues that's keeping me back is every time we have a tightening cycle, the curve flattens, EPS peaks, ISM peaks, and, and what you see is multiples compress. So there's a lot of good news out there, but in the second half, and I think next year is a sell in May and go away. You're going to have M&A. It's going to be a very good market. But in the second half, it's about deceleration. There's more accommodation coming up. We're going to get away from some of the taxes. And, and then you're going to have uh, volatility start to normalize, right? In that kind of environment, you should have lower multiples. It's going to be um, In terms of those sectors that you liked who are good creators right. of, of value out there, Correct. is it historical return on capital rates so that you're looking it, at? Because I don't think necessarily of these right. sectors as great creators of value. I don't think of electric utilities as a great creator <laughs> of value <laughs> in, in the markets. I just, I mean, that's... So we're, we're, um, in that regard, what we're looking at, we're looking at, at media, we're looking at cable, we're looking at some of the food and beverage. Um, I sit right next to Marcy Riviker, who's one of, she's just out, outstanding, our media and cable analysts. And she's looking at the Comcast of the world. She's looking at the Disney's. Those are high quality companies. Those are companies that know how to create value. You look at Disney, what she's saying is that acquisition is very accretive. There's great, there's still good opportunity out there, but it's very selective. Chris, you, you look at back, you look back at this and technical, uh, the t uh, technology space has blown away, whether it's year to date, right. um, going back six months, going back five years, it's blown away everything up there. So to Melissa's point, when you have right. utilities up there, right. But the technology space has blown away everything. Why are you afraid of technology? Is it just valuations? So we're neutral on technology. And within technology, we want to move away from the higher beta. We want to move away from semi. We're looking for better value. We're looking for more of a contrarian approach. And we're looking for where the sentiment is not as positive. And we think you want to ro rotate. Again, what we're going to see in technologies, you're going to see some business spend. They're going to be helped. Everyone thinks there's this massive rotation. I, I don't see that massive rotation. What I see is a much more selective environment, and, and, and some of these tech companies will do very well. Chris, good to see you. Thank good you. Happy you New Year. Chris, Chris Harvey. Uh, Guy, you like those sectors? Do you think they're good creators of 
value? Well, I'll tell you, for the, for the, you know, we talk about interest rates, and this is interesting, and I'm sort of ambivalent about that, but I'll say this. If you're a bond bear, you're sort of getting, the, you're, you're getting some wind to your back because the XLU is yeah. absolutely rolled over. If you look at the move in XLU over the last week and a half, it's gone from basically 57 down to 52. That's sort of a good sign if you think rates are going higher. I would say this, though. 51, you have to draw a line in the sand in XLU. If it holds there... I think there's a real opportunity for, again, those 10-year yields to go right back down to two and a quarter we recently saw. What did you do today? Yeah, I started, uh, you know, Karen was mentioned that she thinks things feel a little too good. I mean, again, from a trader's perspective, I sold about 25% of my U.S. steel position, which I still want to play in this game, but it's had such an extraordinary run. Even sold off some Altria, which also, you know, was more sympathetic to the utilities move, also has revalued after this whole FDA scare. So I think it's a case where actually you look at some relative value and you fade some stuff in emerging markets. I sold some Turkey, bought some Russia. Russia hasn't rallied. I think those are trades that make sense. Karen? I didn't do a lot today. I'm sort of eyeing more puts just because they're expensive, but I want to stay long. I'm long Google, long Facebook. Those are big positions. I'm long the big three banks. Those are big positions. So I want to stay with them, but I am nervous. And I do think, so if rates moved, good for the banks. Coming up, if you want to get the most out of your tax cuts, Tim Seymour is going to break down how you can harvest tax gains into the end of the year and when it's time to sell those big winners. Plus, is the SEC about to crack down on all those crypto stock scams? Former SEC Chairman Harvey Pitt will be here to tell us what he thinks they should do now. And later, the energy sector snapping back, surging more than 2% today after lagging the market all year. Is this just the beginning of a bigger breakout? We've got those details. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out the XLE, the energy ETF surging 2%. That kicks off our top trades. It is the best performing sector today, rebounding after being one of the worst performing sectors all year. And here's a look at some of the biggest winners. Hess, Schlumberger, Chevron, Exxon, all jumping. So, Tim, is this uh, the start of a breakout? Well, I tell you, if you look at a bunch of the charts in the sector, not necessarily the integrated, you have breakouts. You have, you've now had a breakout in the OIH. You've had names like Halliburton, which broke out a couple days ago, and now look like it goes from 40, you know, you've, you've got probably 53. 354 bucks on Halliburton, I believe. So why is this happening? First of all, in the integrated space and in the E&P space, think about what happened kind of late year where uh, Anadarko started giving money back to investors. There was already a change in religion to me in the E&P space, in the oil and gas. You add in this tax cut, especially for the refiners, um, which are heavily taxed and U.S. dollar earners. Um, in fact, I'd fade refiners here and I'd go into E&P. But I, I tell you what, some of these charts, especially in oil services, look very interesting. You have not liked energy. I, I have not and for the last two days you start to see them outperform on the in the energy world so you have rotation to Tim's point you have the tax policy and then you have infrastructure which is only going to be a tailwind so are you now a, a believer in energy so in services I think you could rally going into year end and maybe first quarter I'm still a little skeptical because it's taken so long to really take hold but Schlumberger, Weatherford, Halliburton, I think I'd rather go there versus the EMP. Services versus EMP. Shout out to Rich Ross. I was just going to say, right? Chevron up 3.5%. Exactly. One of the three Dow stocks you could buy, CVS. Rich Ross, he was in the Pantheon. He was one of the nine the people Parthenon. on the desk last night. Yeah. Great yes. job by him. But, yeah. you know, look, Exxon is still in a three-and-a-half-year bear market, if you look. I mean, it's a downtrend. But back in August, we said, you know, the stock keeps holding 76, 76, 76, and it's been off to the races ever since. I still think Exxon is in a bear market. With that said, I still didn't go up to 88 and a half, 89, which will remain in that bear market trend. So Exxon still goes higher from here. How's your Golar doing? That's that was a fresh pitch, right? Yes. 
That's Great actually sec. working out well. But I, I, you know, Tim has been all over energy for the whole ride, and I probably, like a lot of other people, underweight energy. Golar is my biggest energy bet by a lot. I hardly have any other exposure. And so I'm feeling underweight energy. I guess a lot of other people are as well. So I think it probably bodes well. Well, and again, just continue. because we've had stability in the oil price, we've actually right. had some sense that, that, that the CapEx has stabilized into a zone. I think you've really seen a different change. XLE, by the way, this didn't just happen. It's up 17% since August. Well, I, I know you don't want to go long here, but the five-year on XLE is only up 2%. So let's keep this all in perspective. You, it's very a big beta play. I'm not, no, I'm not I'm pushing back. On a long-term performance, it's definitely got a big beta play, but XLE has not performed for five years. So I don't know I'm what not, that I'm means. not pushing. I don't no, know no, no, what no. that I'm means. I'm not saying. I'm really not trying to be combative. No. I'm not saying it can't perform now. I'm saying put it in perspective. It has not performed for five long years. Yes, because oil went through a this period. This is not, not, we, not we, a knock we, on you. The I US promise shale you it's not a tells knock you exactly on you. He's just saying that he hasn't been in it for five years, so he doesn't care the five-year yeah, performance. I'm saying it's not a knock on you. I'm saying it just hasn't performed. Anyway. Moving on. Still ahead. Check out shares of Nike. That stock volatile in the after-hour session. The conference call is underway. We'll bring you the latest details. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC. First in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. This organic market looks pretty close to you. If your older phone appears to be moving slower, that's because it is moving slower. But that may not be a bad thing for the stock. We'll explain. Plus, you're on a cold streak. Well, there's a simple fix for that. Put Bitcoin in your company's name. It's a growing scam on Wall Street, and we're naming names right after this break. Welcome back to Fast Money. Crypto mania rages on, and a growing number of micro-cap companies have soared by taking advantage of the craze and taking advantage of retail investors. Bob Pisani is at the New York Stock Exchange to break down the moves in some of those names. Bob. It's like 2000 all over again. The Bitcoin craze seems to be reaching some kind of new phase. Take a company and announce they're doing something Bitcoin related and hope it just turns into gold. So you've got, for example, a company called Key Capital Corporation. This is a financial services company listed on the pink sheets that announced it had started a fintech division with a specific focus on pursuing blockchain and cryptocurrency opportunities. It goes from 20 cents to over $3. You have a company called Digital Power Corporation engaged in power systems announcing it has launched a new business division dedicated to the mining of cryptocurrencies. That goes from 60 cents to over $4. And you have another financial technology company, Longfin. We've talked about this one, which went from $5 to over 140 and now back to 40 and changed after saying it was acquiring Zidu.com, which says it's a micro lending company based on blockchain. And you have Long Island Iced Tea Company, this is a beverage company, announcing today that it was changing its name from Long Island Iced Tea Corporation to Long Blockchain Corporation, really. And that it would focus on the exploration of an investment in opportunities that leverage the benefits of blockchain technology. Beverage company. The stock's up 180% or so. Bear in mind, we're not talking about companies that have made major medical breakthroughs. We're not talking about curing cancer. We're talking about tiny companies that simply announce they have some Bitcoin connection and the stocks start moving. You get the point here? Buyer beware. Back to you, Melissa. All right, Bob, thank you, Bob Pisani. Um, you know, the reaction to Long Island iced tea, I, I looked it up. It, it actually does manufacture and distribute iced tea and it's based on Long Island. It's a very straightforward <laughs> business here. And now all of a sudden there's long blockchain and it's like the best things with sliced bread. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, there, are other, there are other things headquartered in. Uh, late, was Lake Success one of the Hicks, Hicksville. Yeah. 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 Hicksville. The Marlin? 
Just bringing that up, yeah. just to, yeah. just to bring it up. Oh, yeah. You can make your own inferences. Mm. No, that, I mean, looked like a, that looked like an April Fool's video. The Long Island I Iced Tea. I thought this was a joke. It's right. Right. They said Long Island Iced Tea not changed to Long I mean, Walk Just to add yeah. to the joke, I mean, Long Island Iced Tea is not just a, a you know iced tea from Long Island. I mean, that's a drink with every liquor in the world in it that gets you hammered <laughs> and throws you off a cliff. So, you, you know, there you go. You do the math. But, I mean, obviously, investors can't just believe in a name here. Well, they, I, oh, blockchain, so therefore it's blockchain It's, it's not just the investors. It's the, it's the algorithms that read right. anything yeah, yeah, with blockchain in it. So it's not as if... 90% of the people are sitting there, you know, like zombies just reading right. blockchain. Yeah. <laughs> it's the computers that analyze anything with blockchain in it and they buy it up. All right. Well, while a number of companies, the number of companies looking to cash in on cryptomania is rising, federal regulators have been relatively quiet on cracking down on these names. The SEC halted trading in shares of the crypto company on Monday. But can we expect more enforcement to come? Here to weigh in is a man who himself was formerly the chairman of the SEC, Harvey Pitt. Harvey, a pleasure to have you with us. It's great to be with you all. Um, we were just talking about one example that came up today, Long Island Ice Tea, which is now long blockchain and then subsequently soared. Should the SEC step in on something like this, or is this just simply buyer beware? Well, the buyer beware uh, theory was uh, thrown out in the 1930s when the federal securities laws were adopted. So there will need to be some protection. The SEC has already warned um, companies and the public with respect to this. Um, earlier this week they stopped trading and I think the company was called Munchie which was trying to go public uh, with a new currency uh, and uh, they have brought an enforcement action already. So I think that there is activity on the horizon and also FSOC has said that uh, regulators have to be very wary of these new developments. I think we're in uh, uh, basically in uh, line for some serious regulatory responses to all of this mm -hmm. and that will be forthcoming after the first of the year. Right. I want to ask you about what went on a, uh, a cryptocurrency exchange in recent days, Coinbase. Um, in case you didn't know, they announced that they're going to add another cryptocurrency to their platform, Bitcoin Cash. Uh, that cryptocurrency soared in advance of the actual addition of that cryptocurrency to the platform. And so Coinbase is now investigating whether or not there is insider trading um, based on somebody who might have gotten wind of that prior and may have uh, then capitalized on it, Harvey. Can we actually call that insider trading? Who would the insiders be for a cryptocurrency? And doesn't insider trading usually refer to uh, material non-public information as it concerns stocks or their securities? Well, uh, you're right about what insider trading relates to, but many of these cryptocurrency offerings are the offerings of securities, and they fit within the securities laws, and that was the point the SEC has made rather forcefully. But there absolutely can be insider trading when people have advanced knowledge of the offering of these uh, interests and take advantage of the offering long before it occurs. I think there's enough authority for the SEC to do what it needs to do when it gets the facts that support an action. So far, uh, Coinbase has said that it's going to launch its own investigation into this. Could the SEC step in? We haven't heard from the SEC on the specific issues so far, but does that mean it's off the table? 
Uh, no, I think the SEC tries to preserve the confidentiality of its investigations until there's a real uh, need for publicity and a conclusion that wrongdoing has occurred. The problem we're seeing here is that people are investing in things that they don't understand. And they also are making investment judgments not based on the merits of what's being offered, but rather because everyone else is investing in it and the price seems to be going up. That's a real problem because there's a lack of education and knowledge on the part of many of the people who are actually doing the investing. Should be an interesting uh, next year or so in the enforcement world. Harvey, thanks so much for joining us. We do appreciate your insights. Harvey My Pitt, pleasure. the former chairman of the SEC. Would it be a good thing or a bad thing if the SEC stepped in and said, you know, we are going to invest Coinbase and what happened with Bitcoin Cash? What do you think? Well, I, I think in some sense, obviously, we even heard this last night from Roger Ver. I mean, there's a belief within in, in the crypto community that nothing bad has really happened on some level. And, and, and if it did, it's not bad. It, it's, it's, it's not a, a crime. It's not a yeah. crime. Um, and and I, I think from a regulatory perspective in terms of you know, especially protecting the, the, the individual investor out there, a shot across the bow is not a bad thing. It, it, you know, it needs to be done in a rational and, and well-targeted way. But, I mean, if a company is... You know, listing a, a, a name or changing their business and it's truly fraud and misrepresentation, I mean, there's a lot the SEC can do there, and I think they should go after them. Yeah. Steve said something interesting, and if you think about it, it's, it's maybe at the end of the day it is people that are buying this because it's, it's our money, collective money. But if the machines are, in fact, in charge of this and that's what's driving this thing, that's a much bigger problem potentially than even what we're talking about here, right? If it's just machines moving Buying it because it sees blockchain being added. That, to me, is a bigger concern than, than people maybe foolishly gambling on things they shouldn't Is it? Be. In my opinion, yes. Well, what difference does it make, though, if it's it, just people foolishly gambling on it? I would, think it's, worse than people. I would think it's worse if people, individuals are yes. foolishly gambling yes. versus yes. a machine for a fund. And I would push back and say, if you know, machines but, are left to their own devices... To me, that's worse. In my, but foolishly gambling is, is, you know, that happens in, 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 in every any, arena in the and world. And it's in though. the eye of the beholder. So it, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes. fraud should not be happening. Foolish gambling yes. is going to go on to the end of time. And, I, I, you know, you can't protect people from themselves if they're going to gamble. You need to protect them from fraud. Still ahead, check out shares of Nike. Volatile in the after-hour session. The stock has been on a tear in the last few months. We'll tell you what it, has, uh, what it is that has traders buying the stock. Plus, traders are piling into one hot tech stock that's up more than 100% this year. We'll give you the name and tell you what has them so bullish. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Apple in the spotlight today after the tech giant admitted to slowing down the performance in its older iPhone models, which could be forcing some consumers to upgrade. It's all what we suspected all along, Josh. You're on San Francisco with all the details. Tell us. So, Melissa, Apple says the central issue here has to do with battery technology, right? That lithium-ion batteries do decline over time. That means as they get older, these batteries will have a tougher time handling a phone's power demands, and that can, they can shut down unexpectedly at that point. Obviously, that's not good news, so Apple did come up with a solution. It added this new feature to iOS last year, so iPhones with older batteries are throttled at specific times to try and make sure they don't get overwhelmed 
overwhelmed and shut down. Apple saying in a statement, our goal is to deliver the best experience for customers, which includes overall performance and prolonging the life of their devices. In other words, what Apple's saying is it's not trying to force you to buy new phones by crippling old ones. On the contrary, Apple's saying it's actually trying to make them last longer. Now, tech analysts did argue today that Apple's actions are defensible, uh, specifically that the company is saddled with this very real technical challenge. Battery performance does degrade over time. But the man who highlighted this issue, John Poole of Geekbench, was on CNBC this morning saying that Apple, in his opinion, should have been more transparent with the solution it came up with. I think if Apple had been very clear in the messaging, you know, either by providing alerts on the phone or something like that, they could have sort of avoided a lot of this, you know, uh, the sort of planned obsolescence, uh, you know, theories that like to be bounced around every time a new iPhone or a new iOS version comes out. Now, there is a potential fix here. An official battery replacement from Apple is going to run you about 79 bucks and free under Apple Care. Melissa, back to you. All right, Josh, thank you. Josh Lipton in San Francisco. So is Apple doing the right thing or here, or could this software slowdown be the makings of an iPhone gate kind of situation? Mm. Mm. No, I don't think it's an iPhone. I mean, it's something we've suspected. You said it yourself. I mean, we've known this all along. It starts Anytime to you die get when the there's an upgrade. Thing, upgrade like, yeah. You upgrade the phone, and a week later, the thing's not working right. And you're like, my phone doesn't work anymore. So you say, you know what I'd do for a new phone anyway. It's, we all play the game. Mm. Is this iPhone gate? No, they clearly are getting ahead of something. I don't know if some story was going to break that required them to come out with this, but does it knock the stock down? Well, clearly not. Yeah, it does make me wonder, how did this come out, right? Yeah. But it wasn't Apple just unilaterally saying, by the way, we're doing this great thing for you. Right, which is so you know, all along We've been doing it all now. along, but today <laughs> we feel like we want to tell you about it. So it does sort of make you wonder, but I think that... The, They've already got you, as Gee said. You know, we're yeah, all playing the game. In. They already I, got I think you. Apple, you know, if there was such thing as an Apple gate, I mean, we, I would question all of humanity. Because, I mean, <laughs> this is, again, this, and I, I say, what I'm saying is the loyalty to Apple, to the ecosystem, uh, now into the services revenue, is why you can continue to buy Apple. Um, I, I think it is the most brand loyalty of any company out there, and people assume they are there to help them, not hurt them. Good for them for the perception. I think it's largely true. The, the, that response was written by a team of lawyers, and I think they have s tremendous wiggle room with that response that you can play it from both sides. So I think it's a neutral for the stock. Once again, we all knew this was going on. I don't think it really hits the stock. I think it was, it was, it was prevalent. We all understood it. All right, sticking with tech here, one trader is betting on more gains ahead for one of Apple's big chip suppliers. Let's get to Mike Coe in Austin to break it down for us. Hi, Mike. Hi, uh, so Micron Technologies has been one of the busiest single stock options that we've seen over the course of the last couple of weeks. It was busy again today. Bullish bets were outnumbering bearish ones by about two to one. And one of the notable trades we saw was a large sale of April 45 puts, about 10,000 of those for an average price of 435. So that's a bullish bet that is going to remain above that $45 strike price by at least the 435 that they collected, which is nearly 10% of the stock price. And incidentally, I think that's one of the reasons why this is a pretty interesting trade and viewers at home might want to take note that when you have options premiums this elevated, you want to sell those premiums, take advantage of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Guy, what do you think of Micron? Well, we days. talked about it on December 1st. Steve was sitting on my right that night. The stock was trading 30 and a half, 39. And we said, you know what? It's round trip the move from earnings. It went from 38 to 50, back to 38. Risk reward sets up well. And, and quite frankly, that's what happened. The stock was obviously down today. But I think in terms of risk reward right now, the quarter suggests that their pricing is still intact. Margins are still strong. So I think you can own Micron right here. For more options action, check out the Mike, thank you, by the way. Check out the full show. That's tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. 
Still ahead, Nike reporting earnings moments ago. The conference call is underway as we speak. We will tell you what the CEO said about the quarter. That's next. Plus, want to get the most out of your tax cuts? Who doesn't? Tim Seymour here will break down how to manage your portfolio in a tax-efficient way. Heading into the new year, much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Nike. Let's get to Eric Chemi in the newsroom for the details. Hey, Eric. How are you doing, Melissa? So the uh, company just went through their prepared statements. Q&A just began uh, just about a minute ago. So North America and Asia, they were worse than estimates. That's kind of the big takeaway there. And what the company wanted to talk about is how they're relying more on their direct-to-consumer business, not retailers in general. Here's what CEO Mark Parker had to say about that a few minutes ago. While the athletic marketplace continues to shift, we're very confident in the factors of our business that we control. Though our consumer, through our consumer direct offense, we're identifying which consumer opportunities have the most upside, and we're over-indexing in those areas to fuel growth. Notice how we talked about the factors they can control, because a lot of the factors they can control have not been working well for them. So what they're focused on is connected wearables, things like the Nike apps. That's going to give more information about their customers so they can figure out how to sell more goods to them to figure out individually what each person wants. The company also talked about extending their pilot that sells directly, Nike goods directly from Nike on Amazon. They also mentioned they're going to launch a pilot with Stitch Fix in women's wear going forward next year. Another thing to look out for, if you're trying to buy some Jordan shoes, they're going to work harder to keep them coveted and special. They could be harder to find, more expensive. That's going to help drive some demand, which has been hurting them in the North American marketplace. Back to you, Melissa. All right, Eric, thank you for that. Eric Chemi in the newsroom. Uh, Nike shares down about a percent right now. Um, since the investor meeting, the analyst day meeting, Nike shares had a pretty good boost. I mean, they were very optimistic about the new stuff that was coming out, the turn that they were seeing in the business. Um, do you rethink that? No, not at okay. all. In fact, I, I think they are uh, very much in charge of what they can control. Uh, and I do think if that 28% move um, also tells you where you got within the sector. People were painting Nike with a brush that they were now a, a, a retailer. And, and they were treating them like they were footlocker, and it was absurd. I mean, if you think about where we were in October, Nike had 51 bucks, and the sentiment could have been worse. Now people like the stock. I mean, this is the way the street works. But to be clear, this is one of those stocks Chris was on earlier talking about companies that create value. The question is, at 24 times... Is this company that's growing at roughly 13, 14 times worth 24 times when it was growing at 24 times, which it was three or four years ago? You mentioned earlier yeah. Under Armour. Exactly. I was just going to say, everything that Tim says could be 100% accurate, but when you look at the rotation, everything that Tim says is 100% accurate. Having yeah. said that, I think Absolutely you can see accurate. this. Go back and look. You can, see the, you can see this shift right now happening. We have Under Armour, which is down 45% year-to-date. Nike, which is up 27% year-to-date. Nike is overbought on RSI. You could see funds come into Under Armour. I'd rather be a buyer of Under Armour. One right thing here. I want to point out, which it's just because uh, Nike's outperformed Adidas by 44% in that time. So in the right. last two months. So again, this is how people trade them, and they trade them as pairs. Right. That pair may be now overdone in the other way, because right. you know, two months ago, there were people on this desk saying Adidas was the best company in the world, and it's gone the other way. Yeah, Karen. Well, I think it's, I mean, Nike had a couple of things to say, none of which were good for Foot Locker. North America right. being soft is one. The direct customer is another. It does make me wonder, though, if North America is soft for Nike, is it also soft for well, Under Armour as well? Could be, but I don't I'm know. going with I, an effective tax rate issue. 
So I'm, yeah, sorry, yeah, I'm going with an effective tax rate a and a rotation. Bigger boost to U, UAA bigger, bigger, as opposed exactly. to 38% going down to 21. Where do you stand? The other day I said it was, Nike was going to push up to 68 and a half, 69, test that all-time high from 2015. Didn't get that close. So now I look at it. Tim mentions valuation. I think this quarter forces people to look at valuation. Earnings were down 9% over year over year. I mean, you, so, I mean, that is without question true. So that's not necessarily a good thing on the back of the run the stock has had. So I might have to reevaluate and see how it trades tomorrow. Maybe that 68.5 was too uh, optimistic. Still ahead, tax cuts are coming. So how should you manage your portfolio? Our very own Tim Seymour will break down the tax cut playbook. Much more fast right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. America is getting a tax cut. So how do you decide what to sell and what not to sell for tax purposes in your portfolio? Tim's over at the Plasma with The More You Know. Tim. Thank you. Some lovely music. And I think we need to be very thoughtful about this and be peaceful about it. But here are three bullet points that I think are my tax playbook. Um, and it's really independent of this big tax bill we just had, but it is as a trader. First of all, um, fundamentals over taxes. Let's talk about this because this is really the most important point. If you believe in a company's upside and, you know, whatever, however you're valuing a company, whether it's a DCF or whether you have a target price that's based on an earnings multiple relative to a company's history, you name it, do you think this company has a lot of room left? Because if you think fundamentally this is a great company I want to own and the price is still nowhere near where I think it's going, I'm not, I'm not trading on a tax basis, even if it's year-end and I've had some tax gains, and I think it's efficient to do that. Fundamentals, to me, always trump tax efficiency. They have for me as a fund manager. I haven't run tax-efficient strategies. There are people that do that. The second, short-term versus long-term investors. What type are you? What part of your portfolio does this stock belong in? Uh, a lot of people are trading positions uh, very actively that, frankly, they want short-term capital gains because they want gains. Uh, they're not interested in, in being tax efficient and know which stocks are which. But you may have some long-term positions where you may be sitting right here uh, on the edge of a year of, have, of a holding period, which could give you a long-term uh, capital gain. And that's something that at least is worth thinking about in the context of what you're trading. Finally, as we think about what has kind of happened maybe in a broader sense in this tax bill, uh, who benefits, who loses. But bring it back to traditional fund management and, and tax is tax harvesting. That's when you're selling loss, when you're generating losses um, to offset gains. And basically think about a chase where you've got, you know, a, a company that really maybe this year it's better time to take the losses. I think there are a lot of people that think it might be next year. So let's go to a chart here. And I want to talk about um, Citigroup, not only because of the company, but because of the sector they're in and because where I think we are in the cycle for banks. We spent a lot of time on this show talking about it. You've had a big move, but really, you know, you've only had a little bit move here on a revaluation. I think you stay long Citibank. I think the regulations get a lot better for them. And I think GDP goes higher. So does Citibank. Should we invite Tim over? How can you not? <laughs> come on, come on, come on, Tim. We're just As joking. Over, can I just say yes. the, the level of effort he put in his check mark. <laughs> yeah, I, I am well checked. I am yes. well trying checked. to add a little bit more interactivity to the, the board. Plasma. You did a very interactive well. I, I, don't, I don't know about that. You know. uh, Karen, how do you approach yes. this? You, you do do this. I your do do this. Yes, quite a bit. Although Tim's first point is really the most important. Why do you want to be in it? Don't you know, it's got to be that has to override any tax trading. But when you have a big tax shift like this, I do try to sell things that are losers. Mm -hmm. If I want to buy them back, you can wait 31 days. 
you do get the tax loss, and then you can buy them back and start over. I'm very mindful of how old my positions are. I really want to wait for them to become long-term. It's such a benefit. To me, I mean, we talk about trading, and, and it's... What is that threshold just about? Is it a matter of years? 365 days. Okay, so it's a year because yes. it becomes a long-term holding. 366, I believe. Okay. Right. Then it becomes a long-term holding, so then you have, you're in a much better tax position. One thing you don't want to do is age your losers. That's a bad thing to do. You want the bigger loss having a bigger tax yield. So, But, Karen, it seems to me that you're, you're also contradicting yourself with that whole thing about if you want to save th something to go a little bit longer to get that long-term gain, but, you know, and buy it back in 31 days or, in this case, harvest it. But that stock could do a lot in that time. Yes, I don't want to get too wonky. You could sell upside calls against it that don't, don't do anything to your holding period. I like it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. What would you sell? What would you think about selling? The fact that she says, age your losers, and look at me <laughs> as she said it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love the laugh track, too. That's uh, on that track. note, we're going to Fantastic. final trades. <laughs> <laughs>